the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thank you for joining us today for On the Road with Jesus, hosted by Rhody Fisher. As a Christian mom for over 40 years and a teacher of the Bible in public schools for 25 years, Rhody will take you on a journey with some of her friends as they share their experiences and testimonies from their walk with Christ. You'll see that you are not alone in your search for God, your victories with Him, or your failures. Welcome to On the Road with Jesus. Now, here's your host, Rhody Fisher. And now, here's the continuation of last week's On the Road with Jesus. In progressive revelation, there is not a a separation, there's not a substitution, there is an addition. So what God is doing is adding new information to the old information over time in order to complete the story, like, like being an author. Okay, and writing several chapters of a book, and you add a new chapter of a book. Well, when Jane Austen writes a new chapter in Pride and Prejudice, it doesn't negate every other chapter she wrote. Okay, that's progressive revelation. God gives new information. But what your Muslim will say to you is, your Bible's changed too, and they'll point to distinctions between the New and Old Testament. And they'll say, well, in the Old Testament, we have these wars where the Israelites are told to wipe someone out, but in the New Testament... You're, you're telling us that, you know, you're supposed to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And Jesus is about loving our neighbor. And so it seems as though there's an abrogation. Uh, and so you Christians are guilty of abrogation the same way we are. Um, I remember being at the mosque here at the conference and one guy asked me why I didn't dress like Jesus. I didn't dress like Jesus. Where's your toga? Where's your, you know, and, and apologists learn as they go along too. And I thought, you know what I should have asked him is how he got to the mosque that day. And if he said he drove, I'd say, why don't you travel like Muhammad? Yeah, really. And so he was pointing to this abrogation thing. And so for the Muslim, the differences between New and Old Testament become a lever that they can use against Christians to try to say there's really no difference between you and us. We believe in abrogation. You believe in abrogation. We don't believe in abrogation. So what's the basis for the unity in the Bible being that not everything follows through? (laughs) And I haven't asked more Torah-observant Christians that are given to try and keep parts of the law if they were still planning to slay Canaanites. (laughs) Okay? Obviously, some things have changed. All right? But if things have changed, how do we know it's the same book? And what's the basis for harmony? So I'm going to give you the outline uh, for uh, harmony to me, same author, same plan, same person, forms the unity in our Bible. The description of God in the Old Testament is his character in the New Testament. Now, somebody's going to say, well, the Trinity isn't in the Old Testament. Well, it's not explicitly in the Old Testament, but it is shadowed and consistent with what we find in the New Testament. And some guys will will go to different levels of how closely, how clearly the Trinity is implicit in the Old Testament. 
Uh, and there's some discussion and debate among scholars as to how implicit you can get. But I can tell you that I can demonstrate plurality in the Godhead. Uh, God is the same. Uh, one of the great descriptions of God is where Moses says to God, show me your glory. Mm-hmm. And God says, no man can see my glory, but I will hide you in the cleft of the rock and you will see my backsides and my goodness, essentially, when you pass by. And God passes by, and this is Exodus uh, 34, uh, 6 and 7, and proclaims his goodness. That's so interesting to me, because that's God's self-definition of who he is and his goodness. And that verse is repeated five times in the Old Testament, which is real repetition, Mm -hmm. in different places. And he says, the Lord, the Lord God, uh, you can have compassionate and gracious, depending on how you you translate the Hebrew words, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth. All right? And this morning when I preached at at Norco, I I gave them a taste of those Hebrew words. Okay? Uh, The word rahum is from the uh, word for womb. It's the love a mother has for a child. It's the tender concern. Uh, and, And that's the kind of the picture there. Chen means to stoop down, a superior to an inferior. And so when the New Testament says God is love, that's perfectly consistent with him being merciful and gracious. When the New Testament talks about God's long-suffering, and it does in 1 Peter, it's pointing to a Greek term that has the same idea as the word long-suffering in Exodus, which actually means uh, not quick to change one's continence. Because in the ancient world, your face changed when you got angry. Uh, And so we see a description. The idea that God is loving is not a New Testament idea. The way it's expressed and how and, and whom the audience kind of is and how that works out is a little different. Uh, but we're talking about the same God, God's attributes. Is he eternal in the Old Testament? Yes. Is he eternal in the New Testament? Yes. Is he immutable in the Old Testament? Yeah, I, the Lord, do not change, therefore the sons of Jacob are not consumed. Is he immutable in the New Testament? When we look at God's essential attributes, or what we say, who he is in his person, ontologically, he does not change at all between old and new. So the author is not changed. Now, I can't say that about the Quran. Uh, The Quran, Allah, looks different. Allah is capricious. He does change. Uh, there's tons of Quranic stories. He is not immutable. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a Quranic passage that I ended up displaying where Allah is called the best of plotters. Your Muslim friend will say, well, he's just a planner. Well, the passage is about them deceiving Muhammad and planning to ambush him and kill him. Mm-hmm. Okay? And, and you know, uh, we, as Allah speaking to Muhammad, it says, oh, Muhammad, they plan to, they plot against you and plan to kill you, but fear not, for Allah is the best of planners. And the idea is they're, they're deceiving you and lying in wait, but Allah is a bigger deceiver than they are. Yeah, he's the best of all deceivers. He's the best of all deceivers. Now, Muslims have gotten used to that, and they play around with the words, but we can see changes. Uh, Muhammad allows for adoption in one place, but doesn't allow for adoption in another. By the way, the reason, as you start to dig into this, has to do with uh, who the wife of his adopted son was. Right. Okay? And that whole issue there. 
Um, and so we have the same author. We can find the same ontological attributes. And by the way, that'd be a great Bible study. Study the attributes of God all the way through from old to new, and you're going to see the consistency in the author. You also see the consistency in the plan. Now, I love the way God does this because he does it through certain pictures. So in Genesis 22, the ram substitutes for Isaac. By the way, Abraham was supposed to take Isaac's life according to the command he received. Technically, Isaac was as good as dead. Mm -hmm. Hebrews tells us that Abraham received him back as from resurrection. Not that he was resurrected, but as if it was like resurrection because his life was beholden. And what replaces Isaac is a ram. Mm -hmm. My Muslim friend didn't like that very much. Okay? He didn't like it at all very much when I ended up using that. And he wanted to poo-poo it. But if you go from Genesis 22, which is a clear picture of Abraham being asked to sacrifice Isaac on Mount Moriah, Mm-hmm. which is where the temple ends up. And then you go to Exodus 12, where the blood of the lamb is put on the doorposts. You see that same substitution again. Mm-hmm. Okay? If you go to Isaiah 53, the lamb becomes a man. If you go to John, all of a sudden you see, behold, the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. That's not in a vacuum. That's in the context of everything else. Mm-hmm. And so we see the same plan. Now, you can do that in a lot of ways. The God who dwelt between the cherubim, Hebrews chapter 1, tells us is is incarnated in Jesus. He is the radiance of his glory. He is the, the glory of God that dwelt between the cherubim and the temple. That's who Jesus is. He's the walking Shekinah. God's desire to dwell among us is made clear through tabernacles the Feast of Tabernacles, through the tabernacle itself. And you can follow that through. And the God who wants to dwell with us becomes God with us, Emmanuel. Predicted in Isaiah 7, realized when Jesus comes on the scene. Okay? So we have the same plan for God to reconcile himself and restore his image bearers to himself. What was destroyed in Genesis 3 is all of a sudden restored in the book of Revelation. It's one giant plan all the way through. The motifs are there. The old Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem. You can see the exact parallelism in there. So it's one author, and the plan, The author is consistent, and the plan is consistent, and the man is consistent. When you look at Messianic prophecy, you see it fulfilled in the New Testament. That was the one thing I learned through studying Matthew. And I have dealt with Jewish objections to the faith. And, you know, and, and if you want good books, Dr. Michael Brown is still the gold standard. I've not amassed as much as Dr. Michael Brown. But, but the reality is, is that the, the authors of your New Testament were not twisting scripture. They were understanding scripture in a way that it could be understood in their day, looking through a messianic lens, which was a perfectly legitimate way to look at scripture. And they are understanding that Jesus is the fulfiller of the prophecy. All right? So someone says, okay, you've demonstrated harmony, but have you explained the inconsistencies? Well, there aren't inconsistencies. They're not inconsistencies. I gave a principle this morning that I'd love for your audience to understand. A covenant is an instrument of relationship between God and man. It's an instrument. 
Whenever you have new covenant, new covenants, you have new revelation. Because man has to understand how to live under that instrument. Right. And so what you see in the New Testament is a change in contract leads to a change in revelation. Mm-hmm. And so the differences that you see there have to do with the nature of the covenant that is the new covenant and the nature of the covenant, which is the old covenant. The old covenant was with the nation. The new covenant is with a multi-ethnic task force. Right. <laughs> and so there has to be changes. Yeah. So it's not abrogation. It's alteration in covenant. Wow. And that's what Paul and Jesus understood. When you look at what Jesus said about the law, the law was preached until John, until John. Well, Jesus understood the law had as a duration as an instrument. If you look at Paul, the law was a pedagogos, a tutor, a nanny, a governess, is the idea of pedagogos. Until Messiah. So Paul understood a limitation. Not only that, but there were rabbis in Jesus' day and beyond that expected a change in the law when Messiah came. And so they're looking at it not in terms of abrogation. They're looking at it in terms of eschatological era. And they see us being in the times of Messiah from the point that Jesus inaugurates the new covenant on. Uh, so that's essentially what you're looking at. And your Muslim friend doesn't understand the difference in economy. And he doesn't understand the difference between different audiences. Um, the Muslim thinks that God is giving the same information to the same audience in the same era. Okay. And so when he gets the Quran, Muhammad's only talking to one audience at one era in time. When God gives the scriptures, which is a library, he has different audiences in mind that the church is not Israel and Israel's not the church. And the eras aren't different and the audiences aren't different. And the situations, I'm sorry, the, audio, the audiences aren't the same. The eras aren't the same. The situations aren't the same. And so we should not expect the same exact instruction to different individuals. I don't give instructions to someone who's my employee that are the same instructions, quote unquote, that I would give to my wife. A different audience implies different instructions. And so your Muslim friend has a a wrong view of how we got our Bible and a wrong view of how God unfolds his plan over time and misunderstands what is contrast and consistent at the same time for being abrogation. Um, And I am kind of working without the PowerPoints here, uh, but that's the key thing that your Muslim friend would need to understand is we don't believe in abrogation. Uh, The other neat thing you can end up saying to a Muslim, and I haven't tried it yet, so this is is, uh, experimental only. (laughs) Okay, this is in the beta testing stage. If you're into computers, if you regard or understand that covenant is tied to revelation and you say the Quran's a new revelation, could you please show me in the Bible where there was another covenant other than the new covenant that God had promised? Where does the Bible, where does God say there'll be a new covenant after Jesus right, that corresponds to the new? So you don't have a basis for new revelation. Mm-hmm. 
because new revelation is tied to a new instrument. Right, and actually it talks about don't add any more to this Bible. Um, so why would we look for, if there's if there's not going to be someone else coming, why would we look for more words? Well, your Muslim friend wants to tell you that, that Muhammad is predicted in the Bible. One of the places that I've heard them go is is Deuteronomy 18, 18. Uh, Behold, I send you a prophet talking to Moses from among your brethren. Now, I know there are other places they go to, uh, and they probably will go to those other places more as Christians become familiar with Deuteronomy 18. Uh, one of the things I like to point out is, who did Moses minister to? Moses ministered to Israel. Muhammad never did. So if he's going to be like Moses, then he has to be the lawgiver to Israel. <laughs> but Muhammad wasn't the lawgiver to Israel, so he isn't like Moses. Mm-hmm in any way, shape, or form. Um, Well, you know, I like to say that Jesus came for the whole world and and died for the whole world. There was nothing more that he needed to do after that in terms of um, being there for us. We, We didn't need another prophet. We didn't need anything else. He died for us. Yeah, and I think Matthew spends a great deal of time proving and and doing it in a very clever Jewish way that Jesus is the greater Moses. Uh, One of the places that you end up seeing that is Moses has 12 tribes on Mount Sinai. Jesus has 12 apostles, disciples uh, on the Mount Mount when he gives his sermon. Matthew's not doing that accidentally. He's paralleling Jesus. Remember the scene with the 12 tribes in Sinai? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, here's the new community, the 12 apostles on the mount receiving the new Torah. Mm -hmm. So that parallelism is there. Okay? Uh, Jesus is tempted for 40 days in the wilderness. Why is Jesus tempted for 40 days in the wilderness? Because Israel failed during their temptation for 40 years in the Mm -hmm. same wilderness. Yeah. So where Israel fails, Jesus as the greater Moses figure succeeds. Uh, Matthew's doing that deliberately. Now, most believers don't see those connections, but a Jewish audience would. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, um, yeah, I can't figure out for the life of me what Muhammad did that would warrant me considering him greater than Jesus, especially after reading the book of Hebrews. <laughs> you know, uh, the book of Hebrews is, is is spent there to talk about, and so there is nothing more that needs to be done. God is exegeted in the Son. Yeah, and you know, I the, the thing about Muhammad is he says that even he doesn't know whether he's going to make it to heaven or not. And I don't know if he, if that's in the Quran, I'm sorry about this, I don't know if that's in the Quran or the Hadith, but I do know that He's quoted as saying that. So why would we want to follow somebody that is still unsure that he's going to make it to heaven? Yeah. Yeah. Why do you follow a tour guide who doesn't know the way there? Right. Exactly. And uh-huh. I, I like that comment that you made as you were talking about your, your testimony. I thank you so much for that revelation um, I, I love the idea that you compared um, 
um, progressive revelation to abrogation. Thank you so much for that. Um, I would like to speak to the believer or the audience out there. If you have never made a commitment to Christ and possibly listening to um, Jeff's testimony today stirs you a little bit, maybe you're not Jewish, maybe you are Jewish, but maybe you're not and you're searching. He was searching the scriptures, not making a commitment to the Lord, but looking and seeing and asking questions until the day that he finally uh, made a commitment to the Lord. Can I ask you this one question? How long was that search? Was it months? Well, it was over the summer. It was probably from the time of the the conference, but it, it intensified uh, as I started reading Matthew during the summer. Okay. Because remember, John had confused me. Right. So right. Matthew brought clarity. Okay, and you joined you joined the navigation group. Was that at the beginning of summer? The navigators were before, and I never like officially joined. Uh, my roommate dared me to go to this Bible study, and I, I took the dare. So it was months uh, from from the from the beginning of this thing stirring within you, and it caused him to search the scriptures, ask questions, um, ask questions of somebody that knew the Bible, and maybe that's you that you're seeking. I'd like to invite you to accept the Lord if, if, if your questions have been answered as he's talked about it. Or maybe you're still searching and would like to give us a call and um, ask, some question, ask more questions. But if you're there, and please do, I'll give you the number at the end of the program. But if you're there and you're thinking, I can really relate to what Jeff has talked about. And this is years ago. This is when he was in college. So we're talking years ago that he's made this commitment. If you're a young guy or maybe an older person, a a female, anyone out there that's looking, searching for God, and today is the day that you'd like to make that commitment, I'd like for you to... Ask the Lord, even in your own words, if you'd like to. You know, um, he, he was talking about Matthew, and I'd like to bring up Matthew. When Matthew, Matthew was a tax collector, and he was not looked upon by the Jews as anyone special. As a matter of fact, he was probably hated. He was overtaxing his own people, working for the Romans, and maybe even a tra- act like a traitor to his own people. But yet Matthew, it says, Matthew writes this himself. He says, there was a man named Matthew. Jesus looked at a man named Matthew and said to him, come, follow me. Well, Matthew drops everything. I'm talking about his books the money, this, the desk that he's at, and he leaves everything behind to follow Jesus. This is the kind of following that Jesus wants us to do. And maybe that's you today. 
It's leaving your old life behind. Dropping it. Matthew makes no provision to say, if this thing with Jesus doesn't work out, I'm going to come back and do this thing with the taxes. He just drops everything and follows Jesus until the end. If that's you today and you would like to accept Jesus as your Savior, say this little prayer with me or talk to the Lord yourself. Jesus died on the cross for all of us. Dear Jesus, forgive me of my sins today, of the past, present, and future. I want to follow you. I don't even understand it all, but I just get a sense that I need to follow you. Today, I'm asking for forgiveness. I'm going to turn from that old life and follow you today. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you said that prayer today, give us a call at 951-817-0094 and leave a message for us. Or you can write me at On the Road with Jesus. Road is spelled R-H-O-D-E with Jesus. There's a drop-down menu. You can write us there and let us know that you've accepted the Lord. Thank you for joining us today. We'll see you again next time on the road with Jesus. Bye for now. Thank you for being here today for On the Road with Jesus with your host, Rody Fisher. Every week, you'll hear experiences and testimonies from her and her friends as they share their journey with Jesus. You'll see that you're not alone in your search for God, your victories with Him, or your failures. If you have a question about today's show, email Rody Fisher at rawfisher at ontheroadwithjesus.com. Spelled R-A-H, Fisher, at on the R-H-O-D-E with Jesus.com. Or leave a voicemail at 951-817-0094. That's 951-817-0094. On the Road with Jesus is sponsored by Global Expressions Language Project. Learn more at asquaredlamps.org. That's the letter A, squaredlamps.org. Be sure to join us each week at this same time for more On the Road with Jesus, hosted by Rody Fisher. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.